Hey, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick reminder, if you're new here to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, to please just take a quick second and subscribe to the podcast. It takes literally a second to do. Just hit the subscribe button right there in your podcast player. Also, if you want to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now, if you're more of a visual person, you like to actually watch the podcast, you can actually do that over on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com, search Holistic Nootropics, You'll see our page pop up. Subscribe to that. Hit the little bell icon so you can get notified every single time new videos drop because we don't just do podcasts over there. We do product reviews. We do all kinds of nootropic and biohacking and holistic health topical videos. So go on over, check us out on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. And for all things nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking related, go on over to holisticnootropics.com. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we talk about using nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking to help you hack the power of your brain. My name's Eric. With me today, I have a very special guest named Jeff Chilton. Jeff is a mushroom expert, an OG mushroom expert who's been in the field for a long, long time, uh, and also the owner of Namex, which is a um, mushroom production company. Um, so we're going to talk all about mushrooms today in this podcast. If you love the mycelium, if you love the mushrooms, if you love just blowing your brain up with fungi, you're going to love this podcast. Before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a quick reminder that if you do love what we're doing here on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, please take a moment and subscribe, share the podcast with all your friends and family on all your social mediums. And if you're interested in finding the best quality supplements, next time you go to Amazon or GNC or one of these other places to buy supplements, make sure you go to the holisticnootropics.com homepage and download my free supplement buying guide. And with that, let's jump into the podcast. So Jeff, you are a mushroom expert. You've been in the field for a long time. Before we jump into all things mushrooms, let me ask you, how did you get involved in mushrooms way back in 1973? <laughs> well, well, I, I was raised in Seattle, Washington. Washington state is just a, a state where got lots of forests, lots of rivers and, and lakes. And early on, I was able to get out and do some wild mushroom hunting because it's like the perfect climate for growing mushrooms. Uh, so uh, lots of wild mushrooms. And then uh, in the late 60s, when I went to university, I actually studied mushrooms. Uh, my, my actual field was anthropology, but I put the two together. And, and uh, basically, it was ethnomycology, the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and in shamanism. Uh, but what do you do after you get out of university and there's nobody who's looking for an anthropologist. So at any rate, I, I, at that point in time, I thought, well, I'd love to learn how to grow mushrooms. So in 1973, I went to the only mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington, in the whole state, and I got a job. I was there for the next 10 years living with mushrooms. Wow. And back then, you know, how, how were people using mushrooms? Because, you know, when you talk about mushrooms today, it's, it's almost like we take it for granted. You go to the store, there's mushrooms everywhere. Um, you know, where I used to live in New York, you'd go to some of these places in Chinatown and there'd be these, you know, just long um, barrels of all kinds of different mushrooms, dried mushrooms. Um, and now it's like in the nootropic space, you know, you can't get away from mushrooms. There's so many different mushrooms, but I feel like 50 years ago, mushrooms might've been a little harder to come by. Well, well, the fact is, is that is that in 1973, there's literally only one mushroom in the marketplace. That's the agaricus mushroom. And that's what we were growing on this farm. This was a big farm, 200 people working there. A hundred of them were harvesters. But here's the cool thing. We had a Japanese scientist there, Dr. Uriyama, who was growing shiitake oyster mushroom and enoki mushroom. So I was exposed to that as well and involved in that. And in 1978, we uh, introduced the first fresh shiitake on a commercial basis into the U.S. markets. And, and 
I don't know about you, but I love shiitake mushrooms. And I was eating fresh shiitake in the 70s. It was just absolutely amazing. So, so now, I mean, if you go out to the market, what do you have? You've got at least a half a dozen if you're in uh, a uh, metropolis out there somewhere. So the, the, the number of mushrooms that are in the marketplace is, is quite good compared to back then. And look, here's what's really interesting is that in 1973, Eric, classical nutritionists basically said, ah, mushrooms, they, they've got a great flavor, but they have no nutritional value. Mm. Well, wait a second. Why did they say that? They said that because mushrooms are low in calories. And it's like, hey, if a food doesn't have any calories, what's the point, right? So, so mushrooms kind of got a bum rap for the longest time until more scientific analysis came on that actually demonstrated the amazing benefits of mushrooms as food. And when you got into mushrooms, I mean, did you did you have any kind of insight into a nutritional value for these different types of mushrooms? Because like you said, there was no science at the time that said there was any nutritional value. But did you notice anything within yourself that maybe tipped you off like, oh, OK, you know, there's there's something more to these than just a flavor profile? Well, you know, personally, you know, I, I was like not that plugged into the nutritional value of the mushrooms so much as I was just like totally engrossed in how to grow them. I loved learning about growing them. I loved learning about them. I loved eating them too. But, but you know, I, I mean, at the same time that I'm on this big mushroom farm, commercial mushroom farm, and it was growing 2 million pounds of agaricus a year. It's a big farm. I mean, also what was going on during that whole period was um, a lot of people knew about mushrooms uh, that were psychoactive as well. So that was, as you can imagine, a big part of the 60s and all throughout the 70s. So that was another side of it that was really interesting. And what was, what was it about growing mushrooms that you found interesting? You have an anthropology background. I mean, did, did that play into it at all? Or, or, or what was it about the actual growing process that fascinated you? Well, you know what? It's funny because I'm not a gardener. <laughs> I'm not somebody that plants things, vegetables and things like that. But, you know, how do I actually um, make a living? How do I, um, w what should I do with myself after university? Again, uh, you know, well, I actually spent a year and a half in Mexico prior to going to the mushroom farm. And I was actually back in the mountains looking for mushrooms down there. Um, but I just thought, man, that just sounds so cool. And I read some of the history of mushroom growing. I, I was just like fascinated with it. So I just decided, well, that's what I'd like to do. And then once I got to the mushroom farm and, and started working there and being part of that process of growing them on a very, very large scale, uh, I just got sucked right into it. And, and it was just like, I, I enjoyed it very, very much and, and still do. It's just really fascinating to how they grow and, and uh, the different species that you can grow. It's just really interesting to me. And what is it today that excites you about mushrooms? You know, obviously it's a, again, it's a big field. It's blowing up. It might be the, the hottest sector of the, you know, nutritional, um, like supplement space. Um, but, but what is it for you since you've been around them so long that really still excites you and wants and keeps you in the field of mushrooms today? Well, well, you know what? It's, it's like, I, I started my company, Namex in 1989. And, and at that point in time, nobody in the supplement space uh, had a mushroom product. And, and, and so all through the 90s, I was educating people about mushrooms. And, and now after all of this time for mushrooms, all of a sudden to, to become um, as popular as they are. And again, it's, it's kind of like not all of a sudden, you know, actually this has just been moving along 
very organically as people learn more and more about it and and uh, people talk about mushrooms that all of a sudden it just kind of caught on. And look, we are so far behind the curve compared to Asia or Europe or places that have revered mushrooms for the longest time, whether it was for food purposes or whether it was for medicinal purposes, like in traditional Chinese medicine, um, or whether it was like if uh, for shamanic purposes, it's just kind of like we did not really, we, we weren't, we weren't up on it. We, we really didn't understand it. And for that reason, all we had was one, one particular mushroom in the United States that, that was out there that we could purchase for food purposes. And now you're, you, you are a, you're a proponent of growing mushrooms in China and then bringing them over here. I believe that's what your, um, your company grows your mushrooms in China. Do, is there something about, um, about the farming or the practices over there that gives you a better yield than if you did it here or, or, or what is the, what is the thing behind that? Well, yeah, you know, that's, that's so interesting because being a commercial mushroom grower on a large scale, like I was, uh, I really understood the economics of it. And, and that's the basic issue because I can take my fresh mushrooms to the market and let's just say I can get $5 a pound for my agaricus or shiitake or whatever mushrooms. Great. I can make money doing that. But fresh mushrooms, like most vegetables, are 90% water. Supplements are dried powders. So once you dry those mushrooms out, that pound of mushrooms that you're getting $5 for, you've got to get $50 for that pound now. The economics do not work. So there are no mushrooms grown in North America that go into the supplement market. Mm -hmm. There are some small herbalists and boutique type uh, um, companies that maybe would purchase some of the mushrooms out there to use them in their own business. And they're not having to go through distributors or anything like that. But um, in fact, in terms of general use and commercial uh, products, you cannot grow mushrooms in the U.S. and make them into supplements. It just does not work. The cost is just too high. I mean, think about this for a second, Eric. Every single mushroom you have ever eaten has been picked by hand. My hand, every single one, a human has had to go into that growing house or wherever they're growing it and pick that thing by hand. Um, and then you've got about a two day window to get it out to the marketplace. Um, and then it'll be on the shelves maybe for two or three days before it's just like, no, it's now it's, it's no longer saleable. So it, it's it's just not practical or economical. And for that reason, uh, nobody can do it. And that's why I went to China, because I realized that if, if I'm going to provide supplements to people in, in North America, I'm going to have to grow them there. Because, because I'm wrapping my head around this thing you said, which is you, you have to... Um, the yield of mushrooms you're going to get and then distill down to a supplement, it's so disproportionate, um, you know, the, the actual amount that you have versus the actual amount that gets turned into a powder um, and then sold out. So maybe that's why in the mushroom space you have this big issue between mycelium grain grown and then fruiting bodies. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the, the distinction between those two growing methods. Oh, oh yeah. You, you know, you know, here's what's really interesting is that growing, first of all, what do you use to, what's your seed for a mushroom? How do you grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. Okay. They, they do have spores. Now, now those spores will go out, they will land on the ground, they'll land on a piece of wood. When they um, germinate, when the conditions are right, they germinate into a very, very fine filament. Those filaments ultimately fuse together and form what's called mycelium. 
Mycelium is the vegetative body of this organism. It will be out there decomposing organic matter. That's what fungi do. They decompose organic matter, turn it into humus. It's very important for us all. Um, when conditions are right, that mycelial body, that vegetative body will produce a mushroom. Up comes this mushroom like in the fall out here. When conditions are, are, you know, they need moisture, humidity goes up, it's raining, everything's good. Um, they come up, they go through a, a, a cycle to be mature, gills underneath, spores come out. We have a complete cycle here of this organism. So, so what's important to understand for everybody is that, you know, if you're buying an herbal product, Eric, it's like, okay, you look at it and you go, ginseng, is it the root? Well, it better be, right? Because that's what you're looking for. Or echinacea, is it the flower? Um, ginkgo, is it the leaf? Yes, the plant part is very important. And that's has, supposed to be on the bottle that you're buying. So, so when we're talking about uh, mushrooms, well, look, if you can't grow mushrooms in, in the U.S., what might you do? Well, since the 30s and and when you're growing mushrooms what you use for seed is live mycelium that's your seed but the key is you have to put it on some type of carrier material so so in other words you just you just don't grow mycelium on its own and then sprinkle it into your bed no you put it on a carrier like sterilized grain which then that, let's just say one um, gallon of grain, you've got a thousand, two thousand, three thousand grains. Each one of those becomes a seed. It's covered with mycelium. You mix that into your substrate, what you're going to grow your mushrooms on, and out it runs onto all of that, let's say compost or wood or whatever you're growing it into. So that, that process of growing mycelium on grain was, was um, started as spawn, what we call spawn, which is the seed to grow mushrooms. Now, what has happened is that because you can't grow mushrooms economically for supplements in the US, people take that spawn, they dry it out, they grind it to a powder, grain and all, and they sell it as mushroom. And when you analyze that, obviously, it's mostly grain powder, which is starch. Now, the way I like to describe it to people is, do you know what tempeh is? Do you ever eat tempeh? Uh, unfortunately, I have some tempeh <laughs> in my history. I have some dark tempeh in my closets. <laughs> well, look, tempeh is a food that's that's uh, that's eaten a lot out in Indonesia. Uh, tempeh is actually cooked soybeans with a fungal mycelium grown on it. So when you're eating tempeh, you're eating mycelium. Mm. Now, look, look, nothing wrong with mycelium and, and mycelium can't even be medicinal. But the issue is that when you are harvesting your mycelium and the grain with it, the final product ends up being mostly the grain with very little of the actual mycelium. So, so these products, when you analyze them, and we, we analyze for beta-glucans, beta-glucans are what make up 50% of the cell wall of a mushroom and mycelium. When we analyze those, those products, they're about 5% beta-glucan and 30 to 60% alpha, which are the starches. Mushrooms do not have starch in them. Now, when we analyze a mushroom, it's 25 to 60% beta-glucan and less than 5% alpha. And alpha is also glycogen. Interestingly enough, mushrooms produce glycogen, not starch, like we do. We produce glycogen as a storage carbohydrate. So do mushrooms. But again, the amount is less than 5%. So when it's just the opposite with these myceliated grain products, these tempeh-like products, and they're being sold as mushrooms when in fact, low in beta-glucan, mostly starch. You think you're getting a mushroom because that's what the label says. You're not. And, and it's like a bait and switch. 
And, okay. So yeah, I just thought of a couple questions. I can't ask them all at the same time, but um, is there a way, cause the beta glucans is essentially measuring how much pure mushroom in there to, to kind of distill down what you said, it's measuring the, the pure mushroom that's in the mix. Um, now is there research behind what a beta glucan does in your body, like what the physiological and, and, um, and neurological effects of a beta glucan are, or is that, are we, am I talking apples and oranges here? Look, there is a ton of research on mushroom beta glucans, and it's all about immunological potentiation. And that's the way you should look at the benefits of what we would call a medicinal or functional mushroom. They, they are basically potentiating your immune system. And the way they do that is that we actually have receptor sites down in our intestines that are specific to beta-glucans, whether we're eating mushrooms or supplementing, they go down, they hit those receptor sites, and then that stimulates the production of immune cells, T-cells, macrophages, NK cells. So that, that's really what's going on when we are consuming these fungal products. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, for me, I like to look at mushrooms as um, sure, you can supplement, but look, this is the perfect food as medicine. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the, the diet is the foundation to our health. Good diet, absolutely essential. We want our foods to be not only nutritious, which mushrooms are, but I mean, can you imagine if they also have these compounds in them that also give you these immunological benefits or other health benefits? Uh, I mean, it's just an absolutely amazing food. And if we want to take it a step further, we can supplement with them as well because they've been used as herbal medicine in China. So if you had to take like your, your all-star team of mushrooms, right? Then you were, you, you, they said, Jeff, we're putting you on an island. You, you're speaking too much truth. The FDA is getting nervous. The CDC is getting nervous. We got to take you out, but we don't want to harm you. So we're going to put you on an island where you can't communicate <laughs> with anybody. And we're going to let you go with, with an all-star team of five mushrooms. Yeah. What do you take and why? Well, you know what? First of all, I always recommend to people reishi. You know, look, I've just told you that most of these medicinal mushrooms have uh, these beta-glucans. And look, all mushrooms have beta-glucans in their cell walls, makes up up to 50% of the cell wall. But each one of those beta-glucans has just a little bit different architecture. And that makes the difference between a mushroom being medicinal and a mushroom just being a really good edible and a good food. Um, so, so reishi, number one. And the interesting thing about reishi, look, we can test for beta-glucans and the alpha-glucans. So we test every single product that we manufacture. We've been testing for beta-glucans now for five years. We have a body of data that is unparalleled in the world in terms of testing mushroom species and mushroom products. So, so um, <clears throat> reishi ends up, which is really interesting, being one of the highest mushrooms in beta-glucans. The two mushrooms that are the highest are reishi and turkey tail. And for me, I just thought, wow, that, that's just like fascinating. Here are two mushrooms, reishi, that's the most highly reserved, um, uh, revered medicinal mushroom. The other thing about reishi is that it's got these bitter compounds in it called triterpenoids. And these triterpenes are something that uh, really help with liver function. They've also shown uh, cytotoxicity to uh, certain types of cells. So it adds another whole aspect to the reishi mushroom that other mushrooms do not have. So all these, all these top medicinal mushrooms would have the beta-glucans and quite decent amounts of them, but 
Reishi is the one that I would say just has that little bit of extra, which makes it a, uh, a, a better or, or number one for me anyway. And, and so again, I, I would use that just as a general tonic. And that's how Reishi has been used for thousands of years, really, as a general tonic. Although I was at a conference in China in the 90s where I talked to a traditional Chinese doctor and and it was a reishi conference. And he said it was his number one herb for the liver. Mm. And, and he used as much as he said, 30 dried grams per day as, as part of his regimen for serious liver disease. And I thought, wow, that, that is really interesting for me. You know, I mean, there's a lot of anecdotal information out there. Um, and even with practitioners, there's anecdotal information. You, you kind of collect it and you sort through it. And over time, you, you kind of put together a profile or something. And so I just found it quite interesting that he was, to some degree, backing up what a lot of the science was saying about reishi is that it did have these activities uh, for the liver. So reishi is your number one. That's, number that's one. Good. Okay. Number, number two, I would say, um, God, you know, you know, it's so funny because uh, I could give you the, the top five and I'll just run through those very quickly. Sure. I would say reishi, uh, cordyceps, maitake, um, lion's mane, uh, shiitake. I would say those probably are, uh, my top five. Now, look, the top four sellers for us. It, it's funny, you know. You know, Eric. <clears throat> Eric. Five years ago, I sold a um, hundred kilos of lion's mane. Last year, we sold ten tons. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, lion's mane is our number one seller right now, thanks to you and many other people that say we're like nootropic lion's mane. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just been amazing. So lion's mane, cordyceps, um, uh, the other one, reishi and chaga are our big four right now. I mean, um, lion's mane, you're probably familiar with lion's mane, but sure. lion's mane have these compounds that will stimulate the production of what's called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor helps to maintain and organize our neurons and as we get older, we kind of lose the ability to produce the same level of nerve growth factor and lion's mate helps to stimulate that. So there have been studies that have shown that it does help with memory. They're, they're working with it to see whether it can help for people with dementia or Alzheimer's or things like this. You know, there are early studies, um, you know, clinical trials in, in the natural products world, they're expensive. There's not too many places that can afford to do it. So we don't have a lot of those as we move forward. Hopefully we'll get more. Uh, we get feedback from people using these things, you know, and look, the other thing I think is really important. And that is that, that, you know, some people will go, oh man, I feel like I've got a cold coming on. I'm going to take these mushrooms. And the next day they go ah, cold gone. No. <laughs> yeah. excuse me that's not how it works you know it's like okay if, if that's the way you think fine i'm just telling you that's not how it works you have to be taking these in a regular way that's why i always tell people put mushrooms into your diet first consume mushrooms regularly if you want a supplement, supplement too, but you need to be taking these on a regular basis because it's not an overnight. It's, it's kind of like saying, um, oh, um, I feel a cold coming on. I'm going to take some vitamin C. Tomorrow you go, okay, all good. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. And, and the research behind Lyme is, is so interesting. And I've, I've really, um, that's my personal top mushroom, uh, to go with, you know, cause I've, I've been spending so much time with just this super, for me, high level, uh, you know, brain work that needs to get done. And you're right. Like I can't just go, okay, today I'm going to use some lion's mane and then just, well, there I go. The brain is, the brain is just buzzing. Um, yeah, exactly. Cause exactly. no, it doesn't work. Like there's some days I take lion's mane. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I need to take a nap. Right. Um, but, but that's, that's very much in line with, you know, with what I personally believe in, in, in this holistic health space, which is like diet isn't drugs. You can't take a pharmaceutical approach to 
to, you know, to food and to nutrition. It has to be a part of your day. You know, it's not like those scientists who studied lion's mane, you know, they gave someone lion's mane, measured their, you know, their myelin sheath or whatever. And then they took some lion's mane 20 minutes later, measured it and go, oh my God, there's way more myelin sheath here. Yeah, Look yeah, at all yeah. this myelin sheath yeah, this guy's yeah, got, yeah, you know, exactly. the telomeres are growing like crazy, you know, um, it, it obviously doesn't work like that, but you know, I think there's something to be said about this kind of direct to consumer pharmaceutical approach, which amps you up on these miracle drugs. And those people are trying to get off those drugs. And now they come to supplements and they come to mushrooms because mushrooms is a no side effect. It's a side effect free, you know, really no downside, um, nutrition. And what really makes me angry is when they buy part of my language, dog shit. You know, yeah, when yeah. they buy the stuff that's made with the the poor quality standards. Oh, man. You know, that that's so disturbing for me. I, I mean, you know, having been in the supplement space since 1989 and, and introducing actual mushrooms to the industry and then having all of a sudden these other products come up and become, I mean, literally 50% of the products that are being sold out there in the mushroom space are these myceliated grain products. And, and you know what, when you speak to somebody that's got a life-threatening illness and they come to you and they say, Hey, I've heard about mushrooms and you, can you help me? And do you want to sell them starch for God's sakes? It's like, no, it, it's just truly unethical. And, and for that reason, I am doing my best to continue to speak out about this and, uh, educate people so that when they go into the store, they sort of have a better idea of what to look for with these products. And it's not easy, Eric, it is not easy. I mean, and look, I don't know about you, but, but having been in this industry for a long time, there are a lot of products that are being sold that will do you no good whatsoever. Absolutely. I mean, that is like, that's like 95% of GNC, you know, like I go to my grocery store over here and there's a health food section and you look at these ingredients, like there's nothing. Oh my God. I wouldn't give this to, you know, my, my, like uh, a healthy person on their healthiest day. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so for me, it's, it's very disturbing that that's going on when I'm trying to sell products that are hundred percent mushroom. Uh, we analyze them, you know, no, and getting back to the whole thing of growing mushrooms in, in China, too, I want every, everybody to be really, I want to be clear about this. Um, in in um, 1997, I went to China with OCIA, which is one of the top organic certifiers in the U.S. Uh, my company's been certified since 1992. I took OCIA over. We had the very first organic mushroom growing workshop in China in 1997. So after a few years, now we're getting organic mushrooms out of there. We grow them back in the mountains, far away from any of the industrial areas. And before they ever leave China, we test for heavy metals, we test for pesticides, we test uh, the whole microbiological panel, and then once they come over to our warehouse in the U.S., we test them again. And, and the testing in China is not done by the, the uh, producers or anything like that. No, it's done by international labs over there. And look, if, if, if it gets tested over there and passes and then comes over here and doesn't pass, my partner over there loses a ton of money on that because we're, we're producing um, batches of 1,000 kilos at a time. And you, can you imagine a thousand kilos and all of a sudden it's like, well, sorry about that. We cannot sell it. Yeah, that's, I understand. Yeah. And, and I, I should really just say that you can tell the difference. Like you, somebody doesn't need to sell me on their mushrooms are better because of this or their mushrooms are, because if I try your mushrooms, I know they're good right away. Um, Cause you know, for instance, I've had Tony from Fresh Caps on here uh, uh, on a previous podcast and, you know, I had some of their mushrooms and I'm telling you from day one, I was like, these are the best mushrooms I've ever had. And I was talking to him and, you know, he was explaining to me the growing process. They only use the fruiting bodies, gives you a higher beta glucan. And it was the first time I've had a mushroom specific supplement because I've tried a few. Um, 
I won't mention the names, but I was like, okay, well, it's just like another powder. <laughs> you know, it's just, I guess I'm, I guess I'm feeling something, but the fresh cap mushrooms, I mean, fresh cap mushrooms got me through two semesters of science classes in school. Plus, you know, continuing to build this holistic nootropics, um, platform, you know, and helping me sleep well and everything. And it's when I take good mushrooms, when I use good mushrooms, my brain feels like it's on, it's on the level where I need it to operate. Yeah, I get it. And, and you know what? You were probably taking uh, those mushrooms came from Namex because Tony was one of our uh, customers back in the day. Um, so you were probably getting Namex mushroom products at the time or Namex uh, extracts at that point in time. But, but look, you know, and I love Tony and what he's doing, man, he's, he's great. And he's got so much great information out there, his podcast and everything. And, and the mushroom growing stuff is, is really fantastic. Um, I really like what he does, but, but yeah, I mean, this is an issue. Uh, it's an issue, not just in the mushroom space, but other supplement space, but, but essentially what, what uh, um, I tell people is look, if that mushroom product, says grown in the USA, guess what? It is myceliated grain tempeh. That's what you're buying. And if you turn it over, look in the facts panel, if it says mycelium, there you go. And in the, in the actual fine print, it will say myceliated rice or myceliated oats. People don't pay attention to that oftentimes, and they don't know. They just look at the front panel, and it says reishi mushroom or something. The other thing that's so easy, um, try uh, – if you have one of those products, if it's reishi, take it out of the capsule and try it. Those products are not even bitter. <laughs> they taste just like flour, and, and they mm. should because they're mostly grain powder. They're absolute. We used to do a, a test at trade shows where we'd have some of those products out, then we'd have our ratio extract. People would taste these other products and go, oh, yeah, that tastes kind of good, kind of a little bit sweet. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> try some of this. They'd try the real ratio extract, and they'd be like, give me some water immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's like – Real reishi is bitter. Mm -hmm. Oh, is it bitter? The other thing too, just a little cool science project, especially if you have kids, it's a lot of fun. Get a, a little bottle of iodine. Take uh, four or five caps, mix it in a, a, a quarter cup of water, uh, get it nice and wetted up, and then put in 10 drops of iodine. If there is starch, grain powder, it will turn black mushrooms don't have starch a mushroom product put in the iodine it'll just turn iodine color that's it so it's a great test if somebody's got a product and they're going well i wonder if my product is what he's talking about or whether it's real mushroom well that's a test you can do for nothing more than the cost of a little bottle of iodine so you just because that's actually really that's a that's a really good uh really good tip just so i just so the listener gets it right and i get it right you're saying take how much mushroom and put it in a cup of well, water well what i'm talking about is is that if you if you have a a, a bottle with capsules just uh -huh. get you know like maybe uh six capsules out dump the powder out then put the powder into the cup of water quarter of a cup you don't need a lot of water just to get it in there uh and then put in the iodine drop drops right into the liquid and so, then if it turns black, that if means... If it turns black, man, that's what you've got. Now, you look, uh, for some mushroom products, it might be black already. It's going to be difficult to do the test. But a lot of these myceliated grain products are very sort of very light brown, almost whitish at times because it's like it's, it's grain flour is right. what it is. So you drop the iodine in, again, a quarter cup of water, and, and you've stirred in this uh, mushroom powder in there not really mushroom powder, but you stir it in there. And if it turns black, well, you know, you've got one of these products and what you've got is mostly starch. You can even taste it. Most of these products taste really bland. They don't taste like mushroom. Yeah. Good mushroom. You definitely has like an unfavorable taste. Like you don't want to take it by itself. You need to <laughs> mix it in a coffee or something. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> well, look, some mushrooms like reishi. Okay. Look, but I mean, lion's mane, I like the flavor of lion's mane. Great edible, uh, taste okay. Shiitake, I love shiitake. Uh, um, great flavor, even when it's uh, an extract, very strong, very, very nice. You know, certain things, I mean, people, some people like the taste of chaga. I find a little bit earthy. 
um, and not for my taste. Um, so some will be a little bit, yeah, good. I'm glad it's in a capsule like reishi. Others are, you're like, well, you know what? Yeah, not bad. Is there any component to some of these mushrooms like the ones that you find people cook more like uh, shiitake, oyster, um, maitake, um, that there's a component that it changes anything like the chemistry of it, the biochemistry of it, when you heat it, like when you cook it, um, is there anything, I feel like I've heard something about, about a nutrient profile increasing when you cook one of these mushrooms. Well, you know what? I've seen some information out there that shows when you, when you expose the mushrooms to high heat, uh, it will increase the, the beta glucan. And I don't know whether that's right or not, but, but basically the, the nice thing about beta-glucans is they're not heat sensitive. So you cannot destroy them by the beta-glucans by cooking. When you're cooking a mushroom, especially if you're frying it, well, you know, look, I don't care what you fry, you will probably be destroying a few of the vitamins there. That's the, but, and, and while we're on this topic too, um, look, if, if anybody out there that is cooking mushrooms, cook them on a high heat, especially if you're frying, because the worst thing possible is too low a heat, Eric. And what happens? All the water comes out and now they're sitting in a pool of water and it's like they're soggy. And it's just like, oh, God, mm. you know, that's why every five-year-old you've ever talked to has said, oh, I hate mushrooms. They're slimy. And it's like, yeah, well, they're not cooked properly. High heat, brown. I like to brown them up. And, and I'll flip them over to make sure both sides are brown. Um, the water sort of stays in them. It doesn't come out of them. It stays in them. And then they're just like, man, they're, they're delicious. I, I mean, I eat a lot of mushrooms. Uh, I, I eat mushrooms, you know, a, a few pounds a week anyway, two or three pounds a week anyway. Agaricus, shiitake, those are the only ones I have access to in my small community, but but no. Oh, I have been able to get enoki talky. Have you ever had enoki talky? I've never had enoki talky. Enoki is the little packages. They're they're uh, vacuum packed. They you look at them. They're very light yellow colored, long stem, little tiny cap. Delicious. If you ever see them, try them. They're they're a great mushroom. They they're not as well known as a medicinal, but it's a great edible. And, and you know what I I basically tell people again is is look. Get mushrooms into your diet and so that you've got them there. They're, they've got not only good nutritional profile, but also they have the beta-glucans. You're going to be getting those. And then after that, if you want to go a little bit further, go ahead and supplement with them. Like, for example, with lion's mane. Lion's mane is not going to be in that many markets. Let's say if you're in California or something, yeah, probably in San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, Seattle, Portland, but maybe not on the East Coast so much. I, I don't know. But but um Basically, you know, if you can got access to them, eat them, and then you can look at supplementing. Yeah, that that's how I got into mushrooms. I mean, initially, you're talking about a five-year-old who who hated mushrooms. I got into them from pizza. I used to love mushrooms on pizza, <laughs> and I was like, mushrooms are awesome, and they were well, cooked yeah. all the isn't that interesting? Because I mean, for me, a mushroom's got to be on a pizza. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. And and that's in in the U.S. Actually, they say I think that's one of the one of the primary methods of people eating mushrooms is on pizzas. Yeah, and it just made me remember that the the times that I've taken um, magic mushrooms, I yeah. also put those on a pizza. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's blasphemy, dude! <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know if was I supposed to eat them straight. I was like, "There's no way I can get these things down straight." Oh, what was it? Was it like dried or was it fresh? Um, they were dried. They, some were, yeah, I've had them dried and fresh. I had some in Amsterdam years ago and they were like, they were so fresh and so colorful and so, um, slimy. Bitter? They were bitter. Well, slimy, huh? Well, I, I'd be surprised about slimy, but, but bitter, you know, it's like psilocybin is, has kind of an acrid taste. You can get used to it. And it's not bad, but, but the other way, of course, is if they're dried or even if they're fresh, you can blend them up and, you know, power them down. And, and it's not too bad that way in terms it, of uh, consuming them. 
And for you, how how has it been watching what's been going on with psilocybin mushrooms going from this thing that it almost seemed like for a long time they were kind of in this dark corner and, you know, everybody loved them who's tried them, most people at least, but nobody could ever really talk about it. It was almost one of those things where it was like, if you've gone on, if you've had that trip and you know it was life-changing for you, or at least like shifted your brain a little bit, like, you know, and then you're talking to somebody and they know, but we couldn't make it public. And now it's, I mean, they're becoming legal in some places. They're being used to treat um, serious PTSD in veterans. Um, they might be the next amazing, you know, uh, medical breakthrough drug. Um, how has it been watching these mushrooms go from what it was years ago to what they're becoming now? Well, you know what? I, I'm really encouraged by it all because look, we were using them back in the 60s, but once they criminalized them and brought in prohibition, then of course you had to be very careful about, you know, holding them, being in possession of them. And uh, certainly you wanted to eat them in a safe space, things like that. So you had to know who you were talking to when you're talking about them because they were illegal. I mean, Eric, I've got friends who have been in jail for psilocybin mushrooms and for cannabis as well. I mean, the prohibition was absolutely real. And so the fact that prohibition is starting to be lifted now, and, and you know, here's what's interesting about it. In the, in the 70s, in terms of psilocybes, we were out combing uh, the fields looking for wild psilocybes, which there were quite a few species in the Pacific Northwest. And then once I wrote my book, in 1983. And, and there were a few books out in the 70s about cultivating. Once I wrote my book in 83, at that point, things really blew up in terms of cultivation. And all of a sudden, people started to cultivate uh, psilocybe mushrooms on a large scale. And started to supply the markets with them. And I'll tell you, they just kind of like, flew under the radar for 20 or 30 years uh, since then. I mean, I cannot even imagine the, the tonnage that are being produced worldwide today. Uh, I mean, any major city, small city, whatever, you can get dried mushrooms, period. Whereas before in the 70s, we were out, out combing the pastures and looking for them in other places. Now, hardly anybody does that. Only a few people would be out there doing that because we've got access to them and have, but it's kind of been kept quiet. And, and the thing about it is, is nobody has really been having bad trips, so to speak. And, and so it hasn't gotten the same kind of publicity it did back in the, the 60s. Yeah, the, the bad trip thing is always always like is what kind of freaked me out a little bit about them. But I feel like it's also maybe one of those kind of CIA propaganda things where they were like, yeah, man, you could totally have a bad trip and lose your mind and end up in a mental institution. Well, yeah. Let me just say something about that is that, look, um, there were certain people that probably shouldn't have been taking LSD or, or mushrooms because they were not ready. Plus, remember, um, back in the 60s, we know we had no guides. We, we didn't have any knowledge about how to use these things. We use them in all sorts of different ways, sometimes in ways that were not appropriate. Where, or let's say you're just uh, out walking uh, down through the city or something and you're not paying attention, things like that. So, so And when there was any kind of incident, they would blow it up into some major thing. The, the key to a bad trip and what actually caused most bad trips was fear. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're you're in a situation when all of a sudden you get afraid and that fear is magnified a hundred times and you're just like crazy. And and a lot of times that fear is the fear of losing control. And people people basically interpret that is I'm dying, <laughs> <laughs> which they're not. And, sure. and essentially in the 60s, we had what were called crisis clinics. So if you had one of your friends that was having one of those fear filled trips, you would basically try and calm them down. If you couldn't, you'd take them down to this clinic and they had trained people there that would essentially 
talk them down and calm them, which took care of the majority of any kind of what we might call a bad trip. But usually it was just, you know, again, it was it was fear. Yeah, that I mean, and now what you get are people doing this microdosing thing, which is um, I find that to be real interesting because it's you know you, you don't you, it's almost like if you wanted to do mushrooms, you had to go, you had to prepare yourself. You're like, okay, I'm going on this trip. I got to clear the calendar. Like I gotta, it's an event. I gotta go out to the specific place. I gotta be around these certain people. Um, but the microdosing thing, it's like, well, I can just take it with my coffee. You know, I can just have a little bit. It's gonna, it's gonna stimulate the brain a little bit to get some creative juices going. I I've never really microdosed, so I can't speak to, is this a good thing or not? But it sounds like people who do it, um, you know, have some fairly good results. Well, you know, it's interesting because they just had a study that was published recently on microdosing and they had a control group. It was a, it was a clinical trial. And at the end of the study, they basically showed that there was really no difference between the two groups and, and that a lot of people who, who really thought something was happening or, or didn't, they, they were, you know, either didn't get the psilocybin or, or not. And, and, you know, here's what I would say about microdosing. If you, if you want to microdose, look, you can take, let's say, 100 milligrams of mushroom, dried mushroom, and you would probably feel absolutely nothing. What you really should be doing is you should probably be taking yourself up to the threshold where you go, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm feeling something. Not full on, you know, colors and, and um, uh, geometric patterns and things like that. But no, at least up to a point where you go, oh, I, I definitely am feeling something. And then from that place back down a little bit to where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm not feeling that, but I know I'm at a level that is definitely going to be doing something. Because I think when you're taking too little of this, I don't really think you're going to see a lot of benefit from it. And you may think you are, which, you know, placebo is very powerful. Um, so, so for me, that's how uh, I think people should approach microdosing is find where that threshold is. And for most people, that was probably going to be like maybe uh, 500 milligrams, maybe 700. Remember when you're taking it too, a hundred milligrams for me is not the same as a hundred milligrams for a, uh, 250 pound man, not at all. So you're going to calibrate it according to your body weight and, but basically, you know, okay, try 200. Oh, don't feel much. Try three, try four, you know, you know, it costs $20 for a little tiny scale that can measure out milligrams. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it back in the day, you'd get like an eighth of mushrooms an eighth, I think is like three and a half grams. So, you know, to me, an eighth, that's a lot. That's like, okay, I'm going, I'm going yeah, that, off. I'm taking, I'm taking a trip. <laughs> that would be a trip. Yeah. 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 So like a hundred milligrams, it's really, I mean, that's like the edge, like the corner of the bag. Oh, 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 absolutely. And, and you know what? I just listened to a, uh, um, a talk by a practitioner, uh, in Victoria, BC, who's actually using psilocybe mushrooms in his practice. And, and they do this, of course, where people are taking a full blown, blown trip. They use five dried grams. Mm, yeah. So, so definitely people are going to be having experience. They're basically laying down in a, in a calm setting on a couch or something, uh, a mask on so that everything is internal, not external. Because a lot of that too is, is it's the external stimulation that can trigger something that, you know, for example, you're there and, and you're tripping out, you're having a great time. And all of a sudden the doorbell rings and you're like, what the hell? Who's at the door? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and especially if you're in the city and you're used to being, you know, like, okay, all the locks are on and all the rest and somebody's knocking on your door and you're like, good God, is that the cops? <laughs> yeah. I can tell you from experience, the city is the worst place to do these kinds of uh, mushrooms. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, you know, again, that's where we get into set and setting. Your yeah. mind has to be in the right place. Your setting has to be comfortable and safe. And, you know, when, when the Native American church does their peyote uh, sessions uh, and they're in a big uh, TP, they've got a fire in the middle, people are around the fire, they're taking it, there is somebody at the door there is somebody that is tending the fire 
And there's also probably somebody that's just kind of there to guide things if necessary, but they've, they've taken care of all that. So you can go in there. You're in a completely safe space. Wow. Ah, man. I, I tell you these mushrooms, you know, just fungus in general, it's such, it, it's such an untapped, like we don't know anything about it. You know, like, I don't think we understand. I think we know the beta glucan story. I think we know, you know, that the certain chemicals we're doing these studies with lion's mane, we're seeing how it affects the brain, but you know, like for instance, I just started getting into this uh, research a little bit about the mycobiome. So we know about the microbiome of, of, you know, gut bacteria, but there's this whole other world inside us of fungus. And, you know, people experience this with like out of control candida, and then you get, you know, these skin issues. Um, it just goes to show that this fungus that that's in nature has so many levels to it. It's almost like an alien being. <laughs> Well, look, you know, the way I look at it is, is Eric, there are creatures in our world that are stranger than science fiction. You could not create anything as strange as what we have in this world, really, whether it's some kind of uh, fish or organism in the oceans or some kind of land creature. Look at insects, for God's sakes. It's like Whoever designed these things, they're unbelievable. A dragonfly, for example, or any of those types of insects. It's just like, no, it's, it's an amazing world. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you kind of brought that up, too, because I was just reading where they said, God, there's some unbelievable amount of space dust that arrives on Earth every year. And, you know, people postulate, well, did, did, you know, some organism come in from the outside and grow and well, well, you know what, who knows? That's interesting speculation, but certainly all of the different organ organic matter that has been created in our world and, and the microorganisms. And to your point, we're, we're learning about the microorganisms, but that's still really early in the day on that, right? I mean, I mean, this is only the last couple hundred years where we've even known that they're out there. So, so there's so much more that we will ultimately learn about them. And, and certainly with all the different species of fungi, uh, there's certainly a lot that, that might come along. Yeah. And it's, it's so cool to, 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 incorporate these things into my, you know, into my stack or into my life. You know, it's like, I can just get a little bit of like nature's giving you a little bit, a little tip of the, uh, you know, of the iceberg of this giant world of fungus. But I know that under the surface, man, it's a, it's a wild world of mycelium and hyphae and, you know, micronutrients being transferred from one thing to another. It's, it's the, the our limit of knowledge on fungi is it's, it's so interesting. And there's, it, it, I, I feel like as we go on, as we become more open to things like medicinal mushrooms and psychedelic mushrooms, you know, we, we might have a real great resource just right below the surface. Well, and I'm, I'm so encouraged about the fact that now <clears throat> psilocybe mushrooms have sort of like come out into the open and people are getting licenses to use them. Uh, cities and states are decriminalizing them. I mean, the very first thing that we need to do across the country is to decriminalize all of this. I mean, can you imagine people actually be, being put in jail for smoking cannabis or, or having mushrooms in their possession? I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And that prohibition has gone got to go. And then we can really start to figure out best ways to use these things. And, and so I'm, I'm very encouraged. Yeah. And I mean, like hemp building materials. And I mean, I think there's probably even, you know, sectors of mushrooms that could probably be used for all kinds they're, of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're using mycelium for packaging materials and, and they're making some type of leather and all these other types of things. It's, it's interesting because I look at that and I look at the, the mycelial leather and it's like, yeah, it's not going to make it down into the the stores that I shop in. That's for sure, because it's only the the fancy like uh, upscale companies that are actually buying it and making handbags and stuff like that. And it's like thousands of dollars. And it's like, OK, I get it. Wow, man. If I had an Amazon package show up packaged in 
uh, mushrooms, that would be pretty rad. I'm not going to lie. That'd be pretty sick. I, I, no kidding. And, and then what you do afterwards is you just take it out and you, you plant it out there and it grows and starts to produce mushrooms, right? Yeah, totally. Oh man, this is, this is a, this is a business idea. I like it. I think I might have to go patent something. Well, Jeff, this has been uh, a really fun uh, chat and I've definitely learned a lot. I would definitely encourage anybody who's listening to this to go to namex.com and check out your white paper all about, um, all about mushrooms. It's, it was a, a good education for me. Um, that's really helped me seek out better quality mushrooms, get a little more educated in this field and really understand these things I'm putting in my body. Well, thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Absolutely. And for more, be sure to check out holisticnootropics.com for all the show notes and links to this podcast. Go check out Jeff over at namex.com. And, and Jeff, I'm sorry, Jeff, is there somewhere that people could go if they want to connect with you or they want to learn more about you or more about your company uh, that they can find you online? Well, I mean, it's certainly namex.com. We've got a lot of educational material. And then also realmushrooms.com if people want to try the products. And there's a ton of great information on realmushrooms.com too. You know, again, interesting information about mushrooms and fungi in general. So definitely come for, for the information. I've got some great slideshows on namex.com too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I love real mushrooms. I, uh, I, the real mushrooms and fresh caps are my two mushrooms of choice. So um, I can 100% stand behind that. So, um, again, Jeff, sorry. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, and if you want to learn more about Jeff, check out namex.com, check out all the show notes of this podcast and our whole library podcast over at holisticnootropics.com. until next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain boosting info, in-depth articles and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.